Welcome to the Unconquered Podcast. One of the issues with our team right now is, is, is mental toughness, uh, discipline, and, and uh, execution. Blame no one. Make no excuses. Do something. Welcome back to the Unconquered Podcast, everybody. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Jason Staples. And uh, this is going to be a, a bit of a hodgepodge episode. Uh, spent a lot of time on looking at the film and going over a lot of stuff from the Boise game. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then we'll talk a little bit about ULM since ULM is uh, not exactly uh, a top level opponent for Florida State. Didn't want to uh, split those too much and uh, spend a lot of time on ULM. We will talk a little bit about what to expect in that game, but that's not going to be uh, a big emphasis here. And then I'll take care of a few questions that have come in since the last podcast and also the uh, the Patreon session where there were some questions that also are worth addressing on the podcast itself. So let's go ahead and get to it. Now, before we do that, I want to thank my first sponsor, and that is EPR Creations. EPR Creations partners with small businesses, with universities, with all sorts of large businesses for website development and online strategy planning. If you have any needs for any better web presence or just general strategy to uh, improve your digital digital life and your digital brand and your digital footprint, and I can say digital one more time, right? You need to give EPR Creations a call. Let them know you heard about them from the Unconquered Podcast. Information in the show notes. All right, so we're going to start with more of a recap of the Boise State game. Going back over a few things that stood out when I was actually when I was actually uh, doing the Patreon, uh, or as some of you prefer, Patreon uh, film session. Wanted to go ahead and bring up a couple things that stood out on the. I'm not sure how many watches that is, but as I went through that as well, and and a little bit since then. Uh, one thing that I, I wanted to take a look at is wide receiver blocking. Uh, there were some bad whiffs from wide receivers that ultimately cost, cost potentially, you could argue, cost Florida State the game. I mean, Warren Thompson, if you go back and you watch Cam Akers fumble, watch Warren Thompson completely, not just whiff, but really not even give effort on the corner who ends up coming coming up and forcing acres inside, which then allows the fumble to happen. So, uh, so yeah, that that's on Warren Thompson as much as, as anybody in that situation. If, if Thompson makes his, uh, and, and if you hear a few extra sounds, by the way, I'm, I'm recording this podcast with my five month old on my lap. So, uh, you know, it's gonna, it's gonna have a little bit of, uh, of, uh, additional sound effects here and there, but, um, if uh, if if Warren Thompson makes that block, Acres might be, might even get a first down. He's going to be able to win the race to the edge from the inside, and uh, and all of a sudden you're looking at potentially getting points on that drive instead of getting a, a key turnover. So that that's number one. Number two, Tamorian Terry uh, more than once. Tamorian Terry just not giving effort on blocks, just deciding, eh, you know, I can kind of give. Uh, a casual wave at this one. And in one case in particular, that leading to a key big loss on a bubble screen, simply because Terry didn't feel like blocking very hard. Now for the record, this is why Keith Gavin keeps playing. As I've said all along, Gavin is a guy who 
has, has committed to doing the little things on this stuff and being the most complete receiver in terms of being a big body and blocker on the outside. And that guy keeps, uh, you, you can see it on the, on the tape over and over again. When they, when they, uh, when they throw to, to Gavin's side, when they throw bubbles to Gavin's side, they end up having a lot more success because that guy ultimately has decided that he's going to he's going to go ahead and use that big body and he's going to he's going to give effort every play. And yeah, the you know, Gavin needs to catch the deep ball that could have been a touchdown there. Or at least would have been, you know, down the field a big gain down the field setting up a potential touchdown. Yeah, he needs to make those catches and those aren't just little things, those are big things. But the, the reality is those who saw practice uh, well, one of one of the practice sources that I, I talked to said, well, you know, Thompson dropped more balls than Gavin did. Well, what are you going to do then? One of them, both of them drop balls. And one of them is going to block his tail off. Which one are you playing? That, that's what it comes down to. And yeah, I mean, some of these young guys may end up becoming more consistent, may end up being better receivers down the line, but this is where discipline wise, you have to play the guy who is actually going to do what you ask him to do. And that's, that's just a matter of establishing a culture. And quite frankly, a lot of fans have stood in the way of that in terms of encouraging some fan favorites that they, that they think should be playing a bunch more over the last few years. And I've been trying to, to tell people at different points Listen, the reason Nooney Murray, he's not playing over Bobo Wilson. Yeah, he's a little more talented, but you can't trust Nooney. And he's not going to block for you. He's going he's gonna to act the fool. He's going to do all sorts of things. And yet everybody screamed and hollered for Nooney Murray to play over Bobo Wilson. Guess which one of them is still in the NFL? And then, you know, the same thing with DJ Matthews when he got on campus. Why in the world, why would DJ Matthews not play more? Well, you know, if you were in practice, if you talked to some of the people who had seen practice or had been around the team, they could tell you why DJ Matthews wasn't playing more. They could also tell you why, you know, in that building, there's people who are saying, yeah, well, we'd rather have Helton playing anyway. Again, and, and in this case, you've got a couple others that in this game, again, it's a matter of this is a big task that Ron Dugans has this year is reestablishing a culture where guys come to come to play more like Keith Gavin than say what we saw from Terry or uh, or Warren Thompson and some of these things uh, in terms of blocking and all, all of the little things. Now it would really help that culture if Gavin would make those big plays too, because then all of a sudden not only is he the guy that's coming to war coming to battle and he's he's doing everything he can on the little things like blocking but he's also the one that's making those big plays. And when he becomes the one that makes those big plays, it helps the rest of the guys recognize that like, this is how this should be. Whereas if you're the guy that makes the big plays and then decides to slack a little bit, then everybody follows that. So, you know, they really need, this is, this is a big part of that cultural shift that they need as a team. And one of the places where it's most obvious that it's needed is the wide receiver position. And that's something, listen, I know Ron Dugans. I've known Ron Dugans for almost 20 years. And that guy comes to work. He's going to emphasize blocking. There's going to have been some serious stuff this last week because of some of the, some of the whiffs and some of the loafs on that side of things. But he's got his, he's got his work cut out for him in terms of reestablishing a culture in that, at that position and in that room 
of doing those things and fighting and and doing all that stuff the way that they should do and and ultimately that's going to be that's going to be necessary if they're going to be successful long term that's going to have to happen the second thing that really stood out is as far as i'm concerned dontavius jackson if he plays like that again at any point this year he can go ahead and take a seat dontavius was worse than i'd realized and i don't like calling kids out but when I see poor effort, when I see loafs, that's when that's when I'm like, well, you know, young guys at least going to make a make a mistake at 110 miles an hour. When I see not even close to being in the right gap, and you're kind of feeling along, and then when you realize that you're in the wrong gap, that you just kind of, oh, oh well, somebody else will make the play. Sorry, nope. As far as I'm concerned, the young linebackers, aside from from Lars Woodby, who did not have a great game, but I, I can live with what I saw from him. Aside from Lars Woodby, Woodby, you can go ahead and put the other put the young linebackers, start getting them more time. Go ahead and give that, get them on the field because honestly, that that's just going to be it's going to be a better situation because you're at least going to get some mistakes made at 100 miles an hour, and you're at least going to get guys make, making some plays periodically because of because of the effort. And then as far as some other conclusions, the secondary just needs to more, be more aggressive. And a lot of people have talked about it being scheme. A lot of it's less scheme than just the way that they're, the, the way that they're, they're playing afraid to get beat deep. You got guys that are really concerned. You get any sort of vertical release at them, and they are, they're, they're, they're bailing off of there. Or if they're at that, say, Zeus position, the field safety position, they're just sitting and waiting. And then all of a sudden you can just turn around and you're wide open. Or you can take it cut on the dig and they're flat footed. You have to play more aggressive in the secondary and be willing to get beaten up every so often in order to make some plays. And that that's something. And I know that Harlan Barnett talked about simplifying this week. And I know that, you know, they there's been a lot of talk about scheme and everything, but a lot of the things that they did, I have no problem with what they did schematically. It's the execution of the scheme that was the problem. And a lot of that is just being coached to do certain things certain ways. Because it wasn't just one guy, and that's especially true at the linebacker position, where if it was one guy that was making some of the mistakes in terms of of filling gaps and and you know all of that, then okay, well that's that guy that guy can take a seat. And in some cases, yeah, I mean that I can I can say like I said, go ahead and take a seat, Dontavious Jackson. But a lot at linebacker and in the secondary, a lot of the, a lot of the mistakes were shared across the board. And you can see that this it's a technique thing and it's an execution thing in terms of how they're being asked to do it rather than the scheme itself. The scheme itself is largely sound. One other thing that stood out as well is Janarius Robinson flashed at times, but when he wasn't flashing positively, he was flashing negatively on the film. There was very little in between for him. There were a number of run plays where they basically just said, we can go ahead and block you with an H-back or with a tight end one-on-one, and Janarius allowed himself to get blocked by one-on-one by a tight end or an H-back. And if you're that guy, you can't, if you're the end man on the line of scrimmage, if you're that hybrid defensive end outside linebacker, and let's be honest, he's a D end, you can never let that guy block you one-on-one. And there's a number of those plays where they're, they're hitting a crease that's there because ultimately Janarius, or in a couple cases, Kando, let themselves get sealed by a single tight end. And that means that then they're able to release the tackle. Well, that makes things really hard on your linebackers. So the, 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 the play from the edge guys left some to be desired. Although 
Kendo at, at different points flashed more positive stuff than I realized the first time through. When I went through a couple times this week, Kendo, I, I can, I'd like to have him make a couple more steps forward, but at least there were some cases where it was like, he decided, nope, you're not blocking me with the, with the tight end. And that's progress. That's good progress. So it's coming along, but, but that position needs to come along quickly or they're going to get gouged. They're going to get just absolutely, the, they're going to get the ball run down their throat by Virginia if they don't make some improvements there. So that's really all I have left to say on the Boise game. I don't want to belabor this too much more. Uh, it was painful to go back and watch a lot just because looking at it, it's like, oh man, like how? How do you not make that play? How are you in that gap instead of that gap? Or why are you letting yourself get single blocked by an H-back who doesn't even have the, the angle on you to begin? Like, you're supposed to be slanting here. Why aren't you making that tackle in the crease for a minus one? Instead, it's a 15-yard gain. That's on you, man. That's not scheme. And there's a lot of that. And I should also mention that, you know, you, you did get Harlan Barnett, as I mentioned, talking about some scheme stuff. And there's people talking about, you know, I can't believe he's already talking about simplifying and all of this other stuff, but you got to keep in mind this scheme was really the, the final stuff that they're doing, like the overall scheme. I mean, they, they started making this shift in the spring. I talked about that weeks ago. They started making this shift in the spring, going to a more hybrid front, but the, the, the actual look that they're doing now, that was, that was Levitt coming in and helping them install that during the summer. And there was an expectation that Levitt would still be on staff at this point as a, as an analyst. And then from what I understand, the administration basically said no. And that fell through in terms of some other other aspects of that. And so now you have a defensive staff that's installed a defense. That's not exactly their defense. Although as, as I've said before, Harlan Barnett knows defense. He's coached under Saban. He knows how to coach this kind of defense. That's not the concern, but again, it is there, there was, there were, they were expecting to have more help in some regards than what they've had. And, you know, ultimately whose fault is that? Well, that's, that's, that's going to be Willie Taggart. Number one, because you've got to know basically you've got to be prepared for what you're going to get and you've got to have the right things in place. And the fact that they only have four assistant coaches on the defensive side of the ball, that's, that's Willie Taggart's fault for mismanaging that staff situation. And, you know, he'd admit that. But it's also, you know, this goes back to the administration and some some issues there where some of the things that Taggart wanted to do in that regard weren't, from what I understand, and again, I, I don't have perfect perfect uh, background on this, but from what was passed along to me, I mean, Taggart wanted to, he was expecting to have another really key analyst on staff this this uh, this year, and ultimately they didn't have that, and I do think that's had an impact. So... You know, you get what you you get what you pay for in some regards, although Florida State has been getting less than what they've been paying, paying for for a while now. So, you know, it can actually be worse. You rarely get more than you pay for, though. All right, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and wrap there. There's just not much more to say uh, on on that front. We'll, we'll, we'll revisit a couple things with some questions at the end, but let's go ahead and shift gears to the ULM preview. And this week's preview is brought to you by Garage Makeovers. Garage Makeovers is the top-rated garage remodeling company in South Florida, according to Home Advisor and Angie's List. They're licensed and insured and have been serving all of Palm Beach and Broward County since 2005. Their services include painting and drywall work, overhead storage, polyaspartic flooring, which I highly recommend if you do anything in your garage. 
cabinets, shelving, slot wall, accessories for anything you have. Call Nathan at Garage Makeovers for all of your storage and organizational needs. If you're in South Florida, they're the best in the biz. Give Nathan a call, number in the show notes. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered Podcast. All right, so ULM, not a good football team. Not a, not a bad football team. I mean, this is a, this is an average, maybe average Sunbelt team. They're offensively better than they are defensively. They have a, de- a decent quarterback who can both run and throw. They've got a very good Sunbelt offensive line, offensive line, and they can run the football. They'll do it differently than Boise did, but basically what they're going to try to do is, 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 you know, schematically it'll be different, but what they're going to do philosophically is basically what Boise did. They're going to try to line up and run the football and find different ways to get some angles and try to try to hold on to the football, try to uh, try to basically take advantage of Florida State's linebackers as much as they can. That's what they'll do. But ultimately speaking, they shouldn't have the ability to make some make big plays. This is a good opportunity for Florida State to practice playing a higher pressure version of of what they want to do defensively. You can play cover three and match that and and turn it into a pressure defense. That's what Nick Saban does. You don't have to play cover three with guys terrified of getting beat. You can play, you know, a more trail technique type stuff and try to get your hands on on the football. That's fine. Now, the other thing is ULM's defense is uh, not very good. <laughs> To, and and they're going to be even worse in this game than they ordinarily would be. Uh, in in game one, they played a Grambling State team that, well, you know, it's an FCS team. They won thirty one to nine. That's that's great. But Grambling State had two hundred and forty three rushing yards and averaged six point six yards per carry. And they averaged almost six yards a carry overall in that game. Their defense not real good. And in terms of stopping the run, they're, that's, that's their big weakness. And beyond that, they're missing their best pass rusher and his backup. So they're already weaker up front. They're already, uh, they're not very big. I mean, their defensive tackles are small, small. They're already not very big up front. And then they're depleted from what they normally would be up front as it is. So if I'm Kendall Bryles in this game, I am pounding the rock and I am doing everything I can to get that offensive line some confidence going into the, going into the Virginia game. I want them believing that, you know what, we can run the football for 400 yards against Virginia because we just ran it for 700 against UL. I mean, that's the kind of game I want to come in with is how many times can I hand the ball off in good, in good leverage situations and basically just run the heck out of the ball with those running backs, give, Acre or give Acres the carries until ultimately you know you're you're satisfied that he's gotten gotten a good rhythm, and then turn it over and let the other guys carry the football and just keep pounding the football because this is one of the few games all year where Florida State's offensive line should be able to outclass the defensive line on the other side of the ball. There there really aren't very many of those games on the on the uh, on the schedule for for Florida State this year. This is one of them and. Ultimately, that's what you, if you're Florida State, you want to really work on. You want to make sure that you're getting some rhythm there. You get in with live bullets flying. Can you find some rhythm to run the ball and run it well? And, and that's, that's what I would do. 
And then, you know, you want to get a couple a couple deep shots in there. You want to continue to work a couple things in your in your passing game and give Blackman a little bit of work on the on the RPO game and, and all of that. But you really want to focus on running the football in this game. So the real question is, how 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 much time is that going to both teams are going to want to run the football? How much time is that ultimately going to limit? Will Florida State be able to get enough big plays to run the score up in this? Or will it be a little closer just because ultimately both teams run the football so much that the clock just keeps running? At the end of the day, I, I think that this is a you know 95% or higher chance of Florida State winning the game, especially after last week. I mean, they you if they don't come out this week and absolutely blast ULM, then that you, you got to be deeply concerned about even further problems culturally. Because there's no reason that, given the, given the two rosters, that Florida State shouldn't win this by a lot. And again, you come off a loss like that with disappointment. You want to get that taste out of your mouth. You want to blast that team. I'm going to go with a, with a projected score of, say, 45-17. Uh, because I think, I think Bryles is going to try. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go up. I'm going to go 52-17. to because I think Bryles and Taggart are going to do what they can to try to build some confidence with a with a with a lot of uh, a lot of offensive football here. They're not going to step off the gas until late, uh, and I just don't think that that ULM has the defensive front to be able to handle Florida State's. Again, this is kind of ridiculous to say, but they don't have the defensive front to handle Florida State's offensive line, just in terms of getting leaned on by the size. And then you're going to give Akers and, and LeBorn and those guys a chance to, to run a lot in the secondary. And I think it's going to be one of those, you know, they could have scored 62 on the same pace that they did in the, that they, that they did things in the first half against Boise state. And then just execution and, you know, little mistakes here and there and a wide receiver, not blocking here and a left tackle missing a block there. And then, a, then, you know, a right, right guard missing a block here and then a center, Missing a uh, missing a twist, those sorts of things. Little things starting to started to to add up, and you end up scoring zero in, in the second half. Well, I think they're gonna they're not gonna have the same level of pressure on them in that regard. I think they're gonna they're gonna score a lot more points in this game. So I'll go with fifty two to seventeen as my projected score for this. Now that leaves us. That's a pretty quick preview, partly because I just don't think ULM warrants a whole lot more. I'm not gonna spend an hour on them. So do one more, uh, one more segment, which is just a question and answer segment after the break. And this week's mailbag is brought to you by Lewis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. As I've said before, Lewis is not just a realtor. He's a trained photographer and videographer, which is especially important now that over 90% of homebuyers search online first. If you want to sell your house quickly, you've got to have a successful online marketing plan, including the best possible photos and video to showcase your home. Nobody will make your home look better for prospective homebuyers than Lewis Marquez, including smooth, professional walkthrough video. And he specializes in drone footage. Listen, other realtors get him to come out and do it for him. So why not just have Lewis do the whole thing for you? If you have any real estate needs in the greater Jacksonville area, give Lewis a call. Let him know you heard about him from the Unconquered podcast. Information in the show notes. All right. Well, now we're to the question and answer segment. And uh, got a couple questions from, got a few questions to get through. Number one, uh, got a question from, uh, well, I'll just, I won't, I'll leave the names out for now. <laughs> oh my God. I'd forgotten about this one. <laughs> oh 
Oh, what day this week is Luis Marquez scheduled to take drone footage of Willie's house as it gets put on the market? Oh, mercy. Um, well, you know, I, uh, I haven't, I have not heard, uh, any word from Luis Marquez of any need of any request for drone footage of, uh, Willie, Willie, uh, Taggart's house or of Harlan Barnett's house or anybody else. I think there's, uh, there's still a lot of, uh, a lot of time left that they have because Florida state can't afford to uh, send any of them packing at this point. So, you know, it kind of, what you get, what you see is what you got for right now. And, um, yeah, so, you know, obviously if the time came, for any of the coaches to need to uh, find a new place to live or needed to find uh, ne- needed to put their own house on the market, they couldn't do any better than the than than Luis Marquez and his ability to to shoot some really good drone footage and all of that to make sure that that uh, that their house got the most bang for the buck. But yeah, well, you <laughs> you put the sponsors in the in the uh, in the question, and odds are you're gonna you're gonna wind up getting that one on the air. <laughs> That's pretty good. All right, next question. Is Harlan Barnett on thin ice with Willie Taggart right now? Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, the fact that they brought in, uh, that, that Taggart brought in uh, J- Jim Levitt during the summer to install some different defensive packages and really to, to spearhead a, a different approach overall tells you sort of where things are. And it's, it's very clear that Harlan Barnett was not Willie Taggart's first choice as a defensive coordinator. Levitt was. And so Levitt's now on the market. Levitt was, was slated to be uh, a, a defensive analyst for Florida state this year. And you can kind of figure that with the defense struggling, you can kind of figure what Willie Taggart is almost certainly thinking right now. So yeah, I mean, Harlan Barnett is absolutely going to be on thin ice with, with Taggart right now. Now, of course, when they move from four coaches to five coaches next year on the defensive side, it would be really easy just to add Jim Levitt as a as a as another defensive coach. And Levitt, of course, is a dynamite linebackers coach. And all of a sudden you got five coaches on defense. You can have Harlan Barnett go to a, a co-defensive coordinator role, and suddenly maybe you maybe you've got got a staff that you like. So and just because you maybe maybe Florida State might be expecting to to do something like hiring uh, Levitt next year. Just because you're doing that doesn't mean that you're going to send Harlan Barnett packing, but it might mean that they're uh, that the that the roles change. Might mean that the roles change a little bit. Okay, next question: Why was there no full time defensive coach in the booth? I've heard this never happens. Well, it's not exactly accurate to say that it never happens, but really what it boils down to is do you have a GA or a few quality assist, quality control assistants that you really trust to be your eyes in the sky? And if you do, a lot of defensive guys, a lot of defensive coaches prefer to be on the sideline to really work with their guys hands-on. And there are some advantages to that, and I can understand why you would want to do that. So yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. That said, it clearly didn't work. So I'm interested to see what they're going to do, but you don't want Odell Hagan's up there. You want him down with his defensive lineman. I mean, he can do it, but you want him down with his D lineman. You want him down there to be able to work with them and, and get hands on with them. You don't want Woody up there. Usually you want him down with his defensive lineman. If I had my guess, Woody or Snyder would be the guys that you're going to expect to go up there. One of those guys will probably be up there next week. Probably Snyder. 
But the problem is, well, actually, probably not Snyder because Snyder's your 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 special teams coordinator. So you got to have your special teams coordinator on the sideline because he's got to work on making sure that those guys are going to get in, get on the field and do all of that work. So the reason that there wasn't a defensive coach up in the booth is a full time defensive coach is because they have four. And yeah, even before, you know, when when most teams had four, one of them would do it. Well, you know, Barnett's always been a sideline guy. So you don't put him down there or you don't put him up there. And then, you know, Snyder's your special teams coordinator. So you don't put him up there and then you start going down the list and none of them really fit as the kind of person that you're going to want to put up there. They, the plan before the season would have worked. You'd have had Levitt up there. He can't coach the players on the sidelines. So you put him on the phones and let him do a lot upstairs. And all of a sudden you got an analyst who's uh, bringing a lot of experience to the table and, and, uh, is able to be the eye in the sky and do all the stuff that you wanted. But given that Levitt is not on staff as a quality control guy, well, or as a, uh, as a, yeah, as a quality control or as a, uh, as a off field assistant, you can't do that. So now they've got to figure out exactly how they're going to do it. I don't know exactly who they're going to put up there, but they're, they're going to need to probably do, do, do something that'll be a little bit different than what they did last week, given the uh, results and given that they didn't make the adjustments that you would expect to be made based on how they were giving up yardage and, and hemorrhaging yardage at times. Okay, last one here. Just cannot figure out what they were doing on defense. Everything from the high school spot dropping in the back end to the linebackers refusing to trigger downhill and sit flat-footed. They look lost, and nothing resembles Barnett's past Michigan State defenses that played press man. There seems to be a very good back there seems to be very good back end talent being coached poorly and put in bad positions. What a mess. And no one can afford that buyout either. Wow. Well, there's not really a question there, but it is true that this does not resemble any of anything of Barnett's past Michigan State defenses, although they didn't play press man. They played a version of quarters with press on the outside. So it was press quarters, which is a little bit different. Uh, and and they, they have integrated that, but they did a lot more middle of the field closed in this game, as I told you before the season, they would. Uh, and uh, ultimately, they... Uh, they didn't look like what Barnett has coached in the past in terms of his preference to be a pressure guy. He's always been a heavy pressure guy, always been a uh, pressure defense, press the corners kind of guy, and they didn't do that. But this does resemble a little bit more of what, say, Jim Levitt did at Oregon. Though with, you know, worse results. And, you know, you can, again, do a little bit of the math there. The fact that Levitt spent all that time in Tallahassee, that he was expected to be on staff as a uh, as a off field assistant. And you can start to figure some of that out. And, you know, they're going to have to figure out what they what they can teach and what they can coach well and um, and go from there. So. It's going to be interesting to see uh, the rest of the season, how that all plays out. I mean, I do think that if Barnett returns more to his comfort level and just says to his defensive backs, hey, play aggressive, play press, and if you get beat over the top, well, you know what? We're getting the ball back to our defense or to our offense and let them go ahead and and score some more points and let's turn this into a 20-possession game. That's fine. What you can't do is let teams go eight you know, eight yards at a time or 15 yards at a time or eight, nine play drives over and over again. That's the worst of all worlds. And ultimately they just need to step up how they're going to do that. Be willing to play the nine man box. If, if, if that's necessary and get beat over the top, let's, you know, like you said, they've got really good back end talent, release them and let them see if they can, uh, if they can play up to that. And if they can't, well, bring in somebody else who can, you've got lots of depth back there, figure out who can do it.
All right, that's going to do it for us here on the Unconquered Podcast. Before I go, as always, I do want to uh, thank my patrons over on Patreon that are above the numbers bleached level. That is Keith Cheney, Casey Kidd, Chris Chartrand, Andrew Garrett, Bert Bertoldi. Thanks for all of your support, guys. Really appreciate it. And uh, next week, hopefully, we can break down a little bit of positives. And uh, they say you get the best, uh, you get, you make the most improvement between weeks one and two. Well, hopefully, we can break down some improvement, even though it probably will look improved just because of the opponent. Either way, this has been the Unconquered Podcast, sponsored by Luis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, EPR Creations, and Garage Makeovers. I'm your host, Dr. Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.